years ago, uh, China enacted a big new cybersecurity law, and now it has issued regs that protect supply chain and um, critical infrastructure uh, under that law. And according to the accounts we're seeing, this looks like something that we've done on the power grid, but it's broader, it's wider. It looks like it covers services in a in network areas in a much wider range of critical infrastructure. Um, and I think more broadly, it's an illustration of how a highly centralized, top-down government uh, approaches things. And I mean, I think it's an interesting question uh, whether this is one aspect of an area in which in the modern world, China, because of the way it approaches things, enjoys an ad advantage. And it Episode 314 of the Cyber Law Podcast brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Thanks for joining us. We're lawyers talking technology, security, privacy, and government, and we're expressing views that don't reflect those of our institutions, our clients, our families, uh, or our pets. Uh, uh, and uh, on the program today, uh, we're not going to have an interview, so we'll just do a news roundup. Uh, David Chris, co-founder of Culprit Partners, who used to run the National Security Division at the Justice Department. Mark McCarthy, who's an adjunct professor and senior fellow at the Institute for Technology, Law, and Policy at Georgetown. Nick Weaver, who's the senior researcher uh, in computer science at UC Berkeley. And I'm Stuart Baker, formerly with NSA and DHS and hosting today's program. Program. Uh, why don't we uh, jump in? Cybersecurity is um, something that we hear a lot about. Uh, we don't always know uh, what regulatory authority governments are going to be using, but uh, it looks as though uh, the Trump administration has released a new executive order that uh, actually puts some teeth in cybersecurity for the power grid. Uh, David? Yes, um, in a way that's right. It's a, a new executive order on securing the United States bulk power system, which is sort of the, the backbone element of the way in which electric power gets distributed across the United States. And it generally prohibits, but allows uh, subject to individual or categorical license uh, approval or pre-approval for uh, purchase or installation of equipment uh, or any property uh, in which a foreign country or a foreign national has an interest. Uh, so it would be, for example, buying transformers from China. And um, I think to understand this, it's interesting to put it in two different contexts. The first is that we have long had and talked about publicly concerns uh, about the vulnerability of our electric power grid and and the Russians obviously have done things to Ukraine's power grid in the past in 2015, and there have been concerns that they might try to do the same thing to us, uh, whether in some kind of actual high, high stakes conflict or in a kind of a lower stakes or seemingly lower stakes kind of sub uh, armed conflict posture. For example, they might, if they could cause a blackout on election day or something like that. Um, uh, the interesting thing about this order is it's very much supply chain focused, but it doesn't seem, at least from my quick read of it, to focus on software vulnerabilities, uh, malware and phishing attacks and the like uh, that have been used to disable power grids in the past. It's a hardware focused and installation focused uh, order. And then the, the second 
<clears throat> question I think it raises is, you know, um, electric power is one of what the Trump administration has as 16 uh, critical infrastructure sectors, others including things like public health and the like. Um, and it is not clear how the logic or approach of this order would translate into some or all of those other sectors. For example, I think it would be very difficult to prohibit generally uh, the purchase of uh, or sourcing of uh, hardware or physical goods, tangible goods from all foreign uh, entities in the public health sector. So um, it's, it's a, a good step, I think, generally speaking. The power industry does not seem to object to it. Um, through its trade associations, but it has these two aspects about being focused on hardware rather than software and being only one of several critical infrastructure sectors um, that I think will give us something to think about in the future. Yeah, it's a, it's clearly a subsidy for you know, manufacturers of domestic manufacturers of large power transformers and some <laughs> of the other stuff that uh, otherwise uh, uh, probably would be made cheaper in China or elsewhere. And now the government is saying, yeah, but we're not willing to rely on China to uh, help us restore our grid if something dramatic happens to it, since the right. dramatic things that could happen could be the result of hostile action by uh, a foreign government. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it does make sense. Uh, the thing that I, I think we should all uh, note is you, this is only about bulk power. It's the big, big equipment that generates and uh, uh, carries over long distances electric yeah. power. It is not the distribution grid that runs through our neighborhoods. Uh, that's all uh, a, a separate system regulated by the states. That's where all the, the crap has been put on the network. All that uh, uh, stuff that was going to give us a smart grid that was uh, one of the dumber things that Vice President uh, Biden endorsed in uh, 2009. Uh, uh, all those smart grid uh, uh, devices are on the retail distribution grid and aren't affected by this at all. And I suspect it's because... Um, the energy department uh, and the energy regulators in the U.S. aren't sure they have authority to do that. That's always been a state uh, a prerogative. Uh, so if we're going to see regulation there, it'll have to come from the states, maybe with some uh, encouragement at the federal level. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's uh, let's move along. I, I <laughs> Nick. One of the most uh, successful uh, phone, uh, mobile phone companies that most Americans have never heard of is Xiaomi, spelled with an X. I, 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 it makes um, cheap smartphones for especially third world markets, but uh, it's, it's uh, uh, certainly in the top four manufacturers of phones. Uh, and they are now being accused of uh, really collecting more or less everything people do on their phones and sending it back to centralized servers that they maintain in uh, Singapore and Russia, if I remember. So are they guilty or, 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 or are they innocent? It isn't accused. It's got caught red-handed. So what they do is every day they create a unique uh, ID number and then they export basically a huge amount of data associated with that daily ID number, including every URL, whether or not you're in incognito mode. So if you say, I don't want any tracking or history, 
it instead on the browser sent all that data to them with the note that you were in that mode. So, so it's, it's look here first, quick. <laughs> yeah. And they say this is for analytic purposes, but it's strange that you could do so much of the analytic type analysis on the phone itself, and you don't need to create a pseudonymous tracking identifier that you keep track of. So their their argument is this is all this is all anonymous because it's pseudonymous. Uh, we're just doing what everybody else does, only a little more so. Um, <laughs> only a and... lot more so. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, so um, they they also said that they had fixed it, that they'd run some, they'd pushed out some patches that allowed <laughs> you to cut off the tracking in incognito mode, which sounded like kind of the least they could do. And not only that, it's clearly that they have that as a opt out. So basically what they're trying to do is keep all their tracking and pretend that they're a way to opt out that nobody ends up knowing about and there's no effective disclosure. It, they actually also had code that specifically said, if you're in Europe, we don't do this. And then that got disabled somewhere along the line or something like that, which seems odd. Of course. Yeah, just by mistake. Yes. Oh, God. So I, the question here is, how many people are going to be investigating this? Uh, I, <laughs> I predict a, uh, something of a fight between the FTC and the FCC over uh, who gets to uh, come down like a ton of bricks on uh, uh, Xiaomi, plus all the uh, data protection authorities in Europe. Uh, um, although for them, it's harder because they know that once they open the China box, it's uh, it's like Pandora's box. Uh, they are going down a road that will lead to um, trying to do to China what they've done to the United States. And I don't think China's going to stand for it. And that creates a big problem for uh, for Europe as well as for China and certainly for Xiaomi. So uh, it, this may be one privacy scandal where the U.S. takes the lead. Don't forget, there's also the U.S. class action plaintiff bar that you could make a very credible case that this is wiretapping without either party consent. And so if the Facebook like button is wiretapping when you're not logged in, this is clearly wiretapping because this is no party consent while the Facebook like button has the consent of the site. I think they they get to argue that uh, it's their product and they can sell it with the consents that they want and that people consented to this uh, somewhere in the terms of service. But we'll see. Isn't Uh, there case law on wiretap that it actually requires meaningful consent? Um, I remember hearing something about that a few years back. I'm kind of skeptical of that. That is that is what lawyers say when they can't actually show there wasn't a lack of consent. Uh, but uh, I, I'm uh, I'm I'm dubious that that flies here. Also, these guys are a, a, a telephone communications service provider, and those uh, service providers have a uniquely favorable treatment under the law. So I'm I'm dubious that wiretapping is going to work as a as a claim. Uh, all right, uh, let's. Uh, but speaking of wiretapping, uh, uh, the uh, uh, the government's efforts in the, the government uh, or governments all over the world are working on how to use mobile phones to deal with the COVID. 19 
uh, crisis. Um, and they're moving in multiple different directions, despite a uh, remarkable effort on the part of Google and Apple to uh, rein them in and, and push them in a particular direction. Um, a, a Mark, uh, uh, there's a bunch of activity outside the United States, not much inside the United States. Uh, and right now, it looks as though a lot of countries are trying to break free of Google and Apple's constraints. I'm not sure whether they're going to. What do you think? Yeah, the world is dividing into into camps on this. Uh, the the Apple Google system uh, works basically by not having information leave the uh, the the app and the cell phone involved, except for a uh, a key code that gets downloaded from a database. But the alternative, developed by some public health officials, um, stores information in the central computer, which also has identifying information like emails or telephone numbers. And if a person is confirmed, public health officials want to use that database to communicate directly with the people that, that might, he might have been exposed to. Um, and, uh, and and that, that alternative has uh, split the world. The UK and France and Norway seem to prefer the government system. Germany did too, but now they've switched and they've joined Switzerland and Estonia and Austria on the side of Google and Apple. Australia's system is government-run. Uh, the earlier systems in Singapore and South Korea were government-run. Uh, some of the government agencies involved in this are neutral. The EU says, we don't care, pick one. Um, and apparently the CDC is also willing to accept the Google-Apple system. The privacy advocates have blessed the, the Apple-Google system, but they, they think the government-run one is a little bit too dangerous in terms of the protection of privacy. Um, so uh, the the in addition to the the uh, the uh, the the privacy issues, there's a real question about the effectiveness of, of these of these apps. The major advantage is supposed to be speed. Uh, if you if you get a contact identified uh, and notify everybody else virtually instantaneously, you can take several days of possible exposure uh, out of the system. And with asymptomatic transmission, that's a big deal. But we don't really know whether all of the calibration for duration and distance is, is going to work. And they might just generate a whole bunch of false positives that will waste everybody's time and cause problems, um, which is why in the traditional way of doing this, you had trained contact tracers doing, doing the work. We may be in a situation where we're trying to automate something that should be done more expensively with human labor, but more effectively with that kind of labor. Well, we'll just have to see. There is one valuable thing that you can get from the phone, which is it remembers who you've been close to if it's properly set up. Uh, I, and uh, you're not going to remember that. Uh, uh, you get on the subway uh, and you ride for three stops and you get off. You don't know who was on the subway with you and they don't know they were on with you. Uh, but that could turn out to be a, a vector of infection. Uh, your phone's likely to be able to figure that out. Uh, and so I, I agree with you. This is one piece of data. It probably at the end of the day, since we don't know how it's really going to work, we need a, an ability to um, uh, f 
make changes on the fly with how we use it. And that's that's one of my objections to the Google Apple thing. It, 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 it was designed to show how clever they were as cryptographers, but it's a very brittle system. If the, the notification system that they imagined, that they dreamed up without any particular public health expertise doesn't work the way they thought it was going to work, either because of the disease or because of the technology uh, or because it lacks input from the public health system about how they've run these things for 100 years, uh, um, the Google-Apple system will fail. And because it's withholding the information from people who could make the adjustments on the fly, it's going to fail worse than some of these other programs. The advantage that Google and Apple have, and I'll just I, 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 and I'll let you respond, is that they have the ability to make the government systems fail by refusing to undo their rules about how Bluetooth can communicate on behalf of an app uh, when the uh, program isn't running in the foreground. Uh, uh, this will never really work very well. If you have to run it, living with the uh, the app restrictions that Google and Apple have imposed, and they, you know, until somebody comes down on them hard, uh, are saying, uh, if you want to do this kind of uh, uh, monitoring, you have to do it our way. So, you know, government of India, government of the UK, we're telling you how to do this, and it's our way, but the highway or the highway, I, which I, I continue to be astonished by. But remarkably, they have made that stick with most of these governments, and nobody has said, I tell you what, how about we just tell you how it's going to be done? Uh, so, Mark, I, I, you, you, you must disagree with some of that. That's a nice rant, but the, the Australia <laughs> and the UK have both figured a way around the constraints that Apple imposes. Well, they, 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 they found a way around it that is kludgy and not particularly um, likely to work in the long run. I, that's my impression. The only defect is that it uses a little bit more energy and so creates a problem with battery time. But other than that, it works just fine and is transparent to the users. Uh, so I, I think we're going to have um, a, a natural experiment. Uh, some of the countries are going to use the government-run one, which runs through the public health officials and allows them to make judgments. Uh, I think the other one from the Google and Apple is a good faith attempt to use their their skills and resources to help their countries in a time of need. I, I don't have any problem with it, but, but they do have a, a difficulty in dealing with getting information to governments. They've always had that, 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 that suspicion. And I think as a result, they, they will not uh, of their own system involve the public health community. And I think that's a limitation. So for example, if they don't calibrate it right, then you walk by someone in a hallway and the Bluetooth signal passes through walls. Everybody who's on both sides of you as you walk down the hallway, separated from you by a wall, gets pinged as a possible contact. And and if, if they're all well, told to yeah, go this, into the health department have, and have, test themselves, and then, to then they're told something that's wrong. So the problem is false positives. If you run it through the public health system, they can control for that kind of mistake. Uh, I would just like to add that the Google Apple system is actually designed to run through the public health systems as well. Um, they are just providing a framework for the applications for the public health system to build what they want. Um, 
And I think the centralized versus distributed is a distraction because it really comes down to application design on how the notification goes. But also, I'd like to take umbrage with the subway example. Um, until we have the caseload down to South Korea level of zero, um, the better policy for those crowded public places is not to hope that a contact tracing app would work, but universal source control. That is, everybody wear a mask. And I think one of the biggest things that's going to get us going forward is there's a death cult who thinks that wearing masks is a political signaling. So I'm not going to wear a mask because it pones the libs. Yeah, that may be that may be the dumbest manifestation of uh, uh, libertarianism yet. Uh, uh, not although, libertarianism, uh, you know, Trumpism. Oh, sure it is. It's Trumpist libertarianism, but it's libertarianism. It's uh, You can't tell me what to do here. Uh, and, and it's particularly uh, uh, um, telling because it really, it, it doesn't hurt you very much not to wear a mask. It just hurts everybody around you. Uh, that's, that, uh, and, and to say, well, I've got a right to do that is, is, is crazy. Uh, but there it is. Uh, um, it's a product of the uh, uh, um, unfortunate uh, division of our politics. Uh, uh, and, you know, arguably there are other things that uh, the government shouldn't have done uh, uh, in the lockdown. Uh, and it's a reflection, I suppose, of just how desperate um, uh, uh, the financial situation for a lot of people is. Uh, uh, and, uh, I, you know, if, if you've lived from paycheck to paycheck and haven't uh, had a paycheck for two months, uh, being told that uh, it's for your own good, uh, uh, and by the way, you better wear a mask too, because that's for uh, uh, society's good, it just uh, at some point starts to gripe with people. I, I think their, their reaction is crazy, but uh, um, I, I half understand it. Um, so the one thing that we've left out here, we ought to talk briefly about India, because India has envisioned using phones in a way that may, may respond to uh, uh, what uh, uh, Nick said. Uh, their view is phones are part of a broader uh, disease control uh, system that will, in, will include telling whether people have recovered from the disease, whether they've been exposed and need to be in quarantine, um, as well as whether they have had contact with somebody who uh, has had the disease recently. Um, and so that, of course, puts the government in the middle of it because they're constantly making judgments about um, whether you need to go into quarantine, whether you should have a, uh, a, a red light or a green light for going out in public. Um, and so you can imagine a system in which they say you can't go into a crowded uh, a subway if you don't have a green light on your phone. Uh, and that's not a crazy system. Uh, it may even be more effective than anything we're talking about here. Uh, but it means they can't rely at all on the Gapple stuff. Yeah, just to go back to the right. point about the two are the same. It's not just India, the Australia and the UK, and in fact, all public health officials want to be able to get in touch with the contacts. Sometimes they want to do it regularly, uh, every day, ask about their symptoms and how they're going to encourage quarantining or not. And that's what's not possible with the Google Apple system. You get notified 
but the public health officials do not know who you are. And there's no follow-up and no possibility of integrating individuals into the public health control system. Note that that is not necessarily true. That is a function of the app design on top of the API, that you can easily envision that the app, when it receives a notification, does notify the health department. That's the part that so frustrates me on this debate. Centralization versus distributed is not the issue. The real issue is, is the app allowed to notify back when it actually finds a match? And I'll argue that it must if we want this to be effective. I'm, I'm with you on that. And, and that's another flaw in, in Google's failure to anticipate the future uh, or, you know, 10 minutes into the future. Uh, they came up with the idea, well, you you have to voluntarily agree to share this information. Uh, and, and we're going to ask you after you've gotten all the benefit of installing this on your app, you've gotten a notice that you, you, you may be at risk. Uh, and then the question is, by the way, would you like to suffer the costs of telling other people that they've been put at risk by meeting you? Uh, and uh, at that point, a selfish person just says, yeah, no, thanks. I don't need that. Uh, might produce some hassles and I'm not going to send the notification. And since you ask, the answer is no. Uh, and, and I think we're better off saying to people, this is a bargain you enter into at the beginning. If you want the benefits of this system, you have to agree to the costs. And the cost is that everybody you might have infected hears about it, just as you hear about uh, the fact that you have uh, potentially been infected. Um, and, and nothing, uh, there's no movement on the Gapple's part in that regard. And I guess I'll, I'll, I'll one observation. From their point of view, I can understand why they wouldn't make that concession. They want to be ordered to do this if they're going to do it. Because uh, right now, having a fight where they're the protectors of privacy and government is not is the best possible position for them because nobody uh, outside uh, of the companies sees them that way. And, and, and so picking a fight in which they get a lot of publicity for standing up for privacy, maybe irrationally against government, is, uh, is a no-lose situation for them. All right. Well, that's now that we've resolved that, we, let's move on to something easy, uh, uh, which is Silicon Valley censorship, uh, uh, social platform censorship. Uh, uh, there was a long, detailed and, and, and um, uh, ground-covering article in The Atlantic uh, uh, by uh, Jack Goldsmith and Andrew Woods uh, um, a, that got a lot of attention because basically they say, you know, the debate over um, whether the internet is going to set us free is over and uh, China won. Uh, uh, no one believes that uh, um, a, a free speech is going to, is, is the future on the internet. Uh, they got a lot of heat for saying that, but by and large, I, I think that's perfectly true. Um, the um, And we can see it in the coronavirus stuff where the uh, the social media platforms are feeling particularly empowered to say, no, you can't say that uh, uh, to the point of uh, shutting down a uh, head of state, the uh, head of Brazil's uh, uh, government, uh, because he said things that uh, um, uh, uh, Twitter and uh, Google and uh, um Twitter, Google, and Facebook didn't think were true. Um, a, and they've constantly been expanding their uh, 
uh, notion of what you can say. You, you're not allowed, according to Twitter, to say things that contradict medical authorities, authoritative sources, and they treat WHO as an authoritative source, uh, um, notwithstanding that this is not an area where WHO knows any more than the rest of us uh, uh, at at the at bottom. Most of us know what WHO knows, uh, and there's an enormous amount that none of us knows. Uh, and uh, WHO puts out guidance that they think is probably right, but could be wrong tomorrow. Um, and uh, nonetheless, uh, social media is taking that down. I I think Twitter announced that you didn't even have to be wrong. It just had to be an unverified claim that they thought would lead to social unrest. Uh, and then finally, I think um, uh, Twitter and uh, or Facebook, at least, has announced that it's uh, not it's taking down calls for demonstrations where the demonstrations would violate a, uh, a government order banning the uh, demonstrations on social distancing grounds. Uh, uh, all of those are things that we'd be appalled if governments did it. But of course, as they point out, the governments are in the background egging this stuff on. Uh, uh, you know, you don't, you don't, uh, um, when you're as unpopular as uh, social media has been, uh, you can't afford to do things that government is going to condemn. So you're constantly looking over your shoulder at, at what the government wants. They're doing it with uh, uh, a wide variety of artificial intelligence. And what uh, uh, we hear from Wood and Goldsmith is, uh, so what's different exactly about this and what the Chinese are doing? Um, a, a, and the answer is, well, the Chinese, they're communists and dictators uh, uh, and they're a government. But at the end of the day, if somebody's telling you you can't say that, it might not matter that much to you that uh, uh, the person who says it uh, doesn't have a uh, flag on his, in, in the background of his photograph. So that's that's that is my rant, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and Mark, uh, hose me down, please. <laughs> so you, uh, it was it was a good rant. Come on, uh, but I think Goldsmith uh, and Wood are, are right that this is just more of the same. I mean, they've been doing this before in other areas, but now I I think they they feel emboldened to do much much more of it. And I think they're also right that there's no unregulated space for us to return to. It's not as though it's going to go back to some normal free speech enabled world. So there'll be more and more of this kind of content regulation. And and it'll, it'll seem a little bit like China, the difference being that the China government takes much more of a directive role, but they still work through platforms in China. And, and in the United States, we have people like Adam Schiff nudging the the uh, the companies along in the direction they think is proper, and other political leaders nudging in a different direction. So you wind up with a system that, uh, at the level of principle, isn't really very very different, but at the level of practice may turn out to be to feel very very different. I, I do think you're right that that mistakes are going to be made, and we've seen a bunch of them. Uh, you know, YouTube took down that video promoting a company's experimental treatment for COVID nineteen that used ultraviolet light. It, it hasn't been given FDA approval, but it seems like a perfectly good topic to talk about. And they also took down a, a video from two doctors who were saying less restrictive measures to deal with coronavirus are right. And it, it might have been a wrong recommendation or even financially motivated, but it also was a legitimate contribution 
to the debate. So, so, so what? Mistakes happen when you're trying to do the right thing. All you can do is try to minimize the mistakes. So I, I do think we're, we're, we're going to have to think about this not in terms of changing the rules about what people take down and not take down, but we're going to have to go for some kind of transparency so we can tell for ourselves what the companies are doing and why they're doing it and have enough information so we can check and, and see how well uh, we think they're doing. So Adam Schiff's idea is that more companies, uh, uh, Google and Twitter in particular, should do what Facebook does, which apparently Facebook now is keeping track of the wrong thing that you view on uh, uh, Facebook. And it, when they've decided it's wrong think, they search you out and say, by the way, you saw that wrong thing and, and we're telling you it was wrong. Um, so it's a, 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 a more aggressive uh, effort to... Um, respond to misinformation. And you can understand that. And at the same time, as my uh, tendentious uh, summary of it suggests, it is also itself um, a, a mechanism of social control uh, that has privacy implications. It's, by the way, we noticed that you engaged with uh, um, uh, views that we condemn. And we want to let you know that we're watching and we're telling you how to think uh, properly. Uh, and and that's, uh, that's yet another step down uh, the road to a mechanism for making sure that people who have the wrong views uh, uh, are rejected uh, uh, frequently in, uh, in their private lives. Well, w- welcome, welcome to the real rule. I mean, you know, these social media companies might make mistakes that are, are systematically biased in a, in a political way, but, but traditional media companies have done this too, some, some overt, some unconscious. So as I say, welcome to the real world. This is how it's going to be going into the future. Yes, I think I, I agree with you. Speaking of that, if you like heavy-handed censorship, you like Fosta Sesta. Ah, okay. Nice, nice. Uh, a, a self segue. Uh, uh, excellent, Nick. Uh, tell us about uh, the. Uh, I think. I think now that I've, I've looked at this, the case is actually the, the the law is called FOSTA. SESTA was the name of the of of, of the bill in the other house, uh, uh, but when it was actually finally adopted, they used FOSTA and not SESTA. Yes. And so basically what this says is it's a carve out to CDA 230 platform immunity. So the platforms under CDA 230 are not liable for content posted by um, people on the platform. FOSTA makes an exception in the case of quote unquote sex traffic. And this was originally targeted at Backpage which was making a lot of money on this. And that Backpage was arrested two days around the time FOSTA finally passed showed that it wasn't actually necessary. Um, But what it really does is it creates platform liability if you're used for, say, recruiting underage women by pimps and stuff like that. And so this forces the platforms to be very heavy-handed in their censorship of that area. And even then, it's not enough that you basically fail at all and you're going to be mired in lawsuits. And that's what Facebook's facing. 
Facebook, the, the, the case that, that made a little bit of news was uh, one out of Texas where um, uh, Facebook was facing a state safe sex trafficking civil case. And they said, uh, essentially, um, FOSTA created an exception for state criminal law, for federal civil law, and for federal criminal law, but not for state civil law actions. This case should be dismissed. The judge said, no, I don't think so. They tried to get uh, uh, the uh, appellate court to mandamus action. And by two to one, the appellate court said, we're not going to get into it yet. Uh, um, My guess is Facebook will win that case, but uh, only after they've been, you know, harassed and probably embarrassed by the discovery that goes with it. Right. And this is also why people do really worry about, say, like the Earn It Act and other things. When you relax 230, you have these collateral incidents. And the biggest collateral damage is that it really requires the platforms to ratchet up their censorship activities to 11 by giving them liability unless you want to go the 8chan route. And even then it's questionable whether the 8chan route would work. Let me push you on that uh, I, because uh, you know uh, many people accuse me of having only anecdotal evidence, uh, 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 voluminous though it may be, that uh, uh, the uh, Silicon Valley hates conservatives. What is the worst thing that Silicon Valley has done to people who are not sex traffickers but are sex trafficker adjacent? There's been a huge crackdown on adult content after FOSTA. So, for example, um, it's um, there, there's been all sorts of stuff along those lines because FOSTA adjacent. So the uh, sex workers themselves have seen huge negative impacts, and so the advocates for that community actually tend to argue that the collateral damage has been huge in terms of forcing people onto yeah, the I'm street. Not sure, I'm, not, I'm not sure that, you know, the, the idea that uh, uh, Facebook should be doing a, a, a very fine-tuned judgment about whether the people who are advertising for sex uh, uh, are doing it voluntarily or are being trafficked, that's you know, there's just no way they're going to be able to to know that uh, right, and, and that's why like the adult Fosta section, were, the adult the section of Fosta were not probably probably trying to stop that. Uh, they they, yeah. they they were not uncomfortable with the idea that there would be less sex sold on the internet, uh, even if it was voluntary sex. Don't you think? Yes. All right, and I'm not. I, you know, I look. I know. I realize there is a there's a case to be made for uh, uh, making uh, uh, the sex work uh, uh, legal, um, but it mostly isn't. Uh, and if that's all you got, I'm not sure that's going to uh, be a, a successful claim that uh, the dark night of fascism is descending because of Frosta. No, but it's a good example of how you have to watch out for when you relax two thirty that if you added other causes of platform liability, you're going to get uh, even more heavy handed in those areas. Um, it is worth it, it is worth noting that that if 
That's the effect of FOSTA, and that would be the effect of the Earn It Act, too. People would just have to not be reckless about whether they were uh, uh, enabling uh, uh, child abuse. Uh, And they could do that any way they wanted. All this business about uh, uh, encryption is a red herring because Silicon Valley does not want to fight the um, uh, the Earn It Act on the grounds that uh, uh, it might interfere with uh, voluntary sales of sex by minors. Uh, uh, they want to uh, uh, fight it on the ground that it's about encryption. And uh, well, that's a very carefully chosen because political it is. Uh, judgment. It is. It, it is, and it is. We do not. At the end of the day, if you will, if you want to have an encryption system, you can have an encryption system, uh, and and do anything you like uh, uh, with it. You just have to recognize that if somebody thinks that you your administration of your encryption program is reckless with respect to the impact on uh, uh, child abuse, that you'll be held liable, uh, and that's basically what FOSTA says too. And the uh, Earn It Act effectively says you need to be able to do bulk scanning for known bad material. And we don't actually yet know how to do that on client side in an encrypted messenger. So the Earn It so Act de facto fun- says you can't do end-to-end encryption. So if, if the imposition of liability for um, sex on the internet uh, is going to be the end of encryption. FOSTA should already be bringing about the end of encryption on the internet, uh, but it isn't. Uh, and it's not at all clear that the Earn It Act would do it either. It's just that uh, uh, companies that were making money from uh, providing end-to-end encryption would have to live with the possibility that if that also caused social harm, they'd have to pay for it. All right. Uh, while we're beating on Silicon Valley, we have met, we have forgotten to go north to where David uh, is from, uh, the Seattle uh, Redmond area, where Amazon is itself living through a two-minute hate from Washington, uh, um, mainly around antitrust. David, uh, yeah. uh, where are things uh, today? Uh, well, this is not a not a fun time for some of the folks at Amazon, I'm sure. There's a pre-existing congressional review or investigation on antitrust lines of many big tech companies to include Amazon. Uh, the A couple of things have now uh, exacerbated that and focused attention uh, on Amazon. First, I think coronavirus has really shown us all how dependent we are uh, on Amazon and its uh, delivery network. And so being dependent makes people I, I, I went through my uh, <laughs> your order list <laughs> my credit my credit card I went through my credit card statement and I couldn't find anything other than uh, Google Fi that was not Amazon <laughs> yeah well so that um, that can be a, a cause of concern for people as it does tend to show a certain kind of market dominance and it, it's just a feeling of dependence and then of course President Trump is no fan of Jeff Bezos which may be influencing certain Republicans but on the other hand, the Democrats are also cranky uh, and have joined in some of these uh, public letters and calls, um, in part because of uh, media reporting that despite uh, protestations in front of Congress to the contrary, um, Amazon apparently does or has looked at sales data from independent sellers 
in efforts to inform uh, Amazon's own sales of competing products. Um, and so there's, there's, you know, threatened referrals for perjury for the Amazon witnesses who denied that in prior testimony and increasing demands for Jeff Bezos himself to come and testify. I'm sure that would be a delight for all concerned. Uh, and Amazon, meanwhile, isn't saying much and is looking into the matter in an internal investigation. At DOJ, Macon Delrahim, who's the uh, assistant AG for antitrust, is, uh, I think, um, recused from some of these matters, On at least as, as far as Google is concerned. I don't know about Amazon. And so Bill Barr has got apparently a, a, a firmer hand personally on the tiller. Um, so this, this whole thing is is um, lots of uh, fun from a, you know, from a entertainment perspective. I think it's going to be interesting. It may have some significant outcomes. Um, and for these two minutes, as you say, at least, it's a little uncomfortable to be Amazon. I think it's, yeah, I, I, Amazon's problems growing out of the testimony are pretty real. I, I think there's probably enough... Uh, uh, to the testimony to beat a perjury charge, but I think it walks right into the buzzsaw of uh, uh, criminal antitrust probe just by creating an opportunity for lengthy discussions of whether it was a lie or just a little misleading. Um, and uh, uh, we've got the chairman of the antitrust subcommittee in the House, who's a Democrat, uh, Cicilline, um, uh, uh, demanding testimony. And then uh, we've got uh, Senator Josh Hawley, a very yep. conservative Republican and the smartest Silicon Valley hater on the Senate uh, <laughs> calling for a criminal antitrust probe. Uh, um, it, it's, uh, you know, the stars are not lining up well for Amazon. I, I agree with you. Uh, uh, my question is, if you think that Silicon Valley probably deserves an antitrust uh, uh, probe, it's not going to get four. Um, and so I'm not sure I would have chosen Amazon as the classic uh, uh, question of concentration. I mean, they, they sell stuff. Uh, anybody could sell stuff. Walmart sells stuff, and they do it pretty well online. Uh, um, uh, uh, Amazon has, has done a very good job in many ways of competing here. And sure, there are some interesting questions about, you know, their dual facing uh, uh, platforms. Uh, and those are hard questions. Uh, and that's where uh, uh, this particular scandal is falling. But I'm not sure it gets to the things that most people are upset with uh, 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 Silicon Valley about, at least on in terms of their um, this, their ability to dominate the conversation increasingly in ways that will serve not only their ideological interests, but in the long run, their business interests. I mean, it's true, uh, Stuart, that, uh, you know, Amazon doesn't own a big social network. On the other hand, you know, Bezos and the Washington Post have been a recurring uh, and often vocally uh, uh, criticized thorn in the president's side. So I wouldn't underestimate that that side of it um, in thinking about, you know, whether and how much energy is going to be uh, brought to bear on them here. Uh, so they don't run a social network, but they still do run a newspaper. Yes, it's true. So they, they, <laughs> Jeff Bezos got the opportunity not only to lose a lot of money, uh, but <laughs> right. uh, also to uh, piss off the president and uh, get him to attack the source of the funding that is 
underwriting the post. Uh, uh, I don't think the post is losing money, but I'm guessing Maybe it's going to lose money as uh, advertising dries up. Um, all right. Last uh, uh, point, uh, returning to cybersecurity uh, and supply chain, but this time from the viewpoint of Beijing. Um, uh, David, uh, I, uh, the Chinese government has finally released uh, its regs on its supply chain security for critical industry. And as my summary suggests, it sounds a lot like ours. Well, yes. I mean, actually, this story really, it, it does, it does. although I think it's considerably broader than ours. And this story does kind of relate to the one we just talked about, as well as the the China Thought Police story from earlier and the, the power grid story that we started with at the beginning. Uh, three years ago, uh, China enacted a big new cybersecurity law, and now it has issued regs that protect supply chain and um, critical infrastructure uh, under that law. And I'm relying here on an account of a translation of the uh, Chinese law, so I have not read the original document in its native language. But according to the accounts we're seeing, this looks like something um, that we've that we've done on the power grid, but it's broader, it's wider. It looks like it covers services in a in network areas in a much wider range of critical infrastructure. Um, and I think more broadly, it's an illustration of how a highly centralized, top-down government uh, approaches things. And I mean, I think it's an interesting question uh, whether this is one aspect of an area in which in the modern world, China, because of the way it approaches things, enjoys an ad advantage. That's the sort of argument that I thought Goldsmith and Woods were making and, and for which they drew a lot of uh, uh, flack. Um, you have to take a broader angle on it, I think, and look at a net assessment of the pros and cons of uh, you know, highly centralized, uh, semi-totalitarian government on the one hand and then what we have um, and explore the ways in which we could try to protect as broadly as this one does and whether we'd even want to uh, using various tools that are, you know, not unconstitutional. So maybe not direct First Amendment uh, regulation of speech, but as you said, using social pressure or perhaps uh, looking at these networks as public utilities and regulating them that way for wardrobe malfunctions and the like. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's a, it's a story that weaves together a lot of different threads in our current debates. Um, and it'll be very fascinating to see how the Chinese do it and compare that to how we do it going forward. So they've done it slowly, but they, they, they have been- yes. Uh, very clear about the direction they're moving, uh, and uh, industry has mostly Western industry has mostly figured it out that uh, their 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 days are numbered. Uh, the great decoupling is not a question of Western will; it's a question of Chinese will, and China's got the will and uh, is willing to pay the price of uh, slightly less good products. Uh, uh, but they'll do it slowly. They'll do it bit by bit. Uh, and uh, if you've got really, really competitive uh, products and uh, uh, the chi your Chinese competitors are not so good, you might get eaten by the alligator last, uh, yeah. but you're going to get eaten. Yeah. And, and a, a related document to be on the lookout for, I don't think it's out yet, is the China Standards 2035 uh, document, which will be their uh, announcement of their efforts 
and ongoing efforts to control and influence international standards in emerging technologies to benefit uh, China. That's that's a, a, a companion thing publication that will be worth reviewing when it uh, becomes available soon, I think. All right. Uh, so uh, uh, the great decoupling uh, uh, is occurring weekly. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I wanted to mention this story. Uh, Banjo uh, Security is doing a big um, uh, artificial intelligence machine learning uh, wrap up of a bunch of data uh, in Utah designed to try to uh, uh, find criminal hotspots uh, and respond to it. And they got the usual bad press and then they got an unusual bad press uh, uh, mediums uh, one zero uh, found evidence that the founder when he was 17 years old, had uh, um, uh, engaged in criminal uh, uh, hate crimes, uh, uh, racist Nazi, uh, uh, a shooting up of the, he didn't shoot it up, but he drove the getaway car uh, of a synagogue, uh, uh, pretty bad stuff. Uh, and um, uh, good reporting. They they finally figured out who this guy was, even though his name had been misspelled in the records. A little, you know, I I, I feel some sympathy. Uh, the kid was was had basically moved out when he was fifteen, uh, and he was obviously a loser and completely at a loss. And these were the only friends he had. To, um, and and I resonate to that because because both my parents were dead when I was 17. Uh, uh, and I remember what a complete jackass I was. Uh, uh, so I, uh, I, I thought, God, there is, maybe there is a reason why they, they, uh, they don't uh, open the records of juvenile delinquents. Uh, um, uh, so I, I've been interested. This has not gotten as much pickup, quite as much pickup as I thought. And maybe other people are saying, yeah, you know, uh, uh, he's, he's repudiated all of that and did it reasonably soon after he uh, achieved uh, a majority. Uh, uh, so maybe, uh, maybe this will turn out to be one of the few times when there is actually a statute of limitations on the Internet since he's now 47 uh, uh, years old. Um, and the Supreme Court uh, just today, just now, broadcast their uh, teleconference-based uh, uh, oral arguments. They're not bringing people in. They're doing it uh, on the phone, uh, and we're getting to listen in. I doubt they're going to let us do that forever, but you never know. This this might be a change. Uh, they, they aren't going to let us see them, uh, but they might let us hear them uh, in real time. Thanks, David Chris. Mark McCarthy, Nick Weaver. Uh, this has been episode 314 of the Cyber Law Podcast brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Uh, please send us comments uh, and suggestions for speakers, cyberlawpodcast at steptoe.com. Rate the show if you get a chance. Uh, uh, leave a review especially. Uh, and join us again next time as we once again provide insights into the latest events in technology, security, privacy, and government. 